Good morning. I doubt that there's many shifras and puas in church today, so, so for that, I guess I'm, I'm in good territory. Do you remember their story? Usually I don't read the whole story like, like this, like I am today, but I am today because their story is a powerful, powerful story. It's found in Exodus chapter 1, and I'm going to read that whole chapter, so hang with me. These are the names of the son of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each of his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pitham and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and, wor and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names are heroes for the day, Shifra and Puah, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the, boy, the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the, the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them their family, families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. That's the story for today. This is what we know about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the most uh, powerful man in the world at that time. He was, he was the superpower. He was uh, overseeing the king of the world's only superpower at the time. There was Pharaoh and there was nobody else. No one was in second place. The people of Egypt viewed him as the, one of the sons of God. He was looked on as divine. He was, was, was higher, better than anyone, anyone, anyone else. He was the most important person in the world. But he also had a problem, and his problem was there were too many Israelites. They were all, all over. He, we're told he didn't remember Joseph. He didn't remember how 400 years earlier Joseph had saved another pharaoh's neck by, by planning for a famine that was coming, and you can read all about that in the book of Genesis. He didn't remember him. He didn't remember his family. He didn't remember the story. All he knew was that he had a problem. He had too many Israelites in, in the nation. He was worried about what that might do. And so, he made them slaves. He worked them to death, literally. The Bible tells us that he treated them ruthlessly. But guess what? It didn't work. If, if the plan was to work them so hard that they wouldn't have time to do anything else, like making babies, then, then it didn't work. 
because the more they worked them, the more ruthless they were to them, uh, the, the, the Israelites had more and more babies, and they were, 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 were very, the Bible says, were very fruitful. So Pharaoh's problem, when he was, became ruthless, became even a bigger, bigger problem. And since it wasn't working, plan A wasn't working, he decided to go another route, and that was to kill all the boys. Evil always eliminates life. Always. That was Pharaoh's way. That was Herod's way when Jesus was born, kill all the babies around Bethlehem. That was Hitler's way. That was Stalin's way. That was Pol Pot's way. That was, that was the Hutu's way in the Rwanda genocide in the 1990s. Eliminating life is always evil's way. But our midwives, our heroes, Shifra and Pua, wouldn't do it. They wouldn't kill the babies. They came up with that cockamamie story about how, how uh, Hebrew women were, you know, Speedy Gonzalez, and they would have the babies before the ambulance would even get there. And, and, and it was just a, a crazy thing. But, you know, you know, King, what else are we supposed to do? We try, we try. But, you know, they always have the babies before we even get there. You know, I plan out my sermons well in advance. This past summer, uh, I went up, I got an Airbnb in Escanaba. I stayed right on the water. It was a beautiful place, right on Lake Michigan and the Upper Peninsula. And, and, and I was able to work out my sermon schedule for all of 2019. I can tell you each Sunday where we'll be at throughout this entire year. I've done that for years and years and years. So way back then, way back in the summer, I knew that on January 27th, I'd be preaching about Shifra and Pua. What I didn't know way back then is that this week, a state in our country, New York, would legalize abortions right up to the, to the, to the point of birth. Late-term abortions are now legal in New York. And so make no mistake, the heart of God in ancient Egypt, just as it broke the heart of God in Bethlehem after Jesus was born, the death of babies still breaks the heart of God. And evil is evil, no matter if it's the year uh, uh, 1600 B.C. or whether it's 2019 A.D. If it breaks the heart of God, it should break our heart. And, and, and while we're on that subject, let me just say this. If, if you know firsthand the, the, the tragedy of abortion, if you've walked that path and made that choice, then hear this. There is grace and mercy, and forgiveness, and love, and the arms of Jesus. And the lesson goes back to Eve, your worst moment does not have to define you, that God has a better way for you, and that way is to be embraced by his loving kindness. That's, that's, that's just the gospel. Well, Pharaoh's plan A, work them as hard as they could, didn't work. Pharaoh's plan B, kill all the baby boys because of Shifra and Pua didn't work. So Pharaoh came up with a plan C, and plan C was to throw all the babies into the Nile River. It's a downward spiral to evil. Evil begets evil begets evil. That's just the way evil works. Paul, in his instructions to Timothy, said, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil left unchecked 
always gets worse and worse and worse. That's the nature of sin. That's the nature of, of, of evil. It's a downward spin. It starts with a little compromise and then a bigger compromise and then another compromise and pretty soon a full-blown evil. It's the way it works in every situation. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'm going to have an affair today. It's a, it's a little compromise, little compromise, little compromise until it blows up. All evil begins with little compromises. Of course, we know that God had a better plan. Pharaoh's plan, throw the babies in the, in the river. God's plan responded with Moses. And Moses, if you read into Exodus chapter 2, if you're doing our, our uh, 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 community Bible experience and you've already gone through, through Exodus, or maybe you're just there depending on where your group is at, but you'll see in Exodus, God sends Moses. Moses, who was born during this time when they were throwing the babies into the Nile, his mother made a basket, you'll remember, placed him in the Nile. His sister watched over the basket as it was floating in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter came and and rescued Moses out of the basket and out of the Nile. All really remarkable wonder women in their own right, but God used them to to provide Moses, who eventually led the people out of Egypt. That's the, the whole story. But the redemption of the people of God began with these two women, our heroes for the day, Shifra and Pua. Two women that had the courage to stand up to an evil tyrant, stand up to the most powerful man in the world, stand up for those who had no voice, and say, say, we can't do what you're asking us to do. We will follow God, not you. You know how in the Bible, last week we saw it, names are important. Remember last week, Leah had special names for her, her children, and each name of each of her sons and her daughter was important and was special and was unique to them. Names are important in the Bible. And to be blotted out, to have your name forgotten, is, is, is a terrible, terrible thing. In, in Psalm chapter 9, verse 5, uh, the Bible reads, You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. To have your name blotted out, to have your name erased, was a really big deal. What is the big deal about this? In the book of Exodus, I've already told you, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. His, his subjects in Egypt considered him divine, son of God. He was, you know, all of these, the, the most important man in the world, blah, blah, blah. So what's the big deal? He's not named. Nowhere in the book of Exodus is Pharaoh named. Pharaoh is not a a name, that's a title. It's like king. Pharaoh is is never named in the entire book of Exodus. The the use of the word, he's referred to 107 times. But he's never named. Not one time is there a reference to his name. But then here comes Shifra and Pua, two midwives who in the scope of all importance on the world stage would probably be rather insignificant. And we don't know many details about them. We know that God honored them with families, but we don't know about their families. We don't know where they lived or what they did or anything like that. But we know their names. They were champions of life, Shifra and Pua. We know their names. Pharaoh, on the other hand, super significant. World leader. One word from Pharaoh and people would jump. But his name's not mentioned. Who's mentioned? The ones who followed after God, Shifra and Pua. Who's mentioned? These two little midwives. It isn't Pharaoh, what's his name? It's Shifra and Pua. Right out of the gate, in the history of the people of God, the community of God, these two women, God honors them. 
See, God always, he loves to have people like Shifra and Pua. He, he honors them. He chooses them to get the job done. God always chooses the obedient, the godly. In the long line of people who have stood up to the powerful and did right in the face of overwhelming odds, they, when, when even their own lives were threatened, stand these two midwives who were the, were the leaders of that, of that tribe, of those who would, would stand up to, for those who couldn't speak, who would stand up for those who were being oppressed. Long before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue with Shifra and Pua, long before Daniel got into the lion's den because the, he wouldn't give in to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, decree about prayer, he stood up, Shifra and Pua. Long before Peter and John stood up to the Sanhedrin and said, we must obey God rather than men. Long before the Apostle Paul was sitting in a Roman prison because he was following Jesus. Long before William Wilberforce fought against slavery in the 17th and 18th century in England. Long before Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up to the Nazis and the atrocities of Adolf Hitler. Long before Alexander Solzhenitsyn sat in a Soviet gulag because of his Christian faith. Or before Nelson Mandela sat in a prison in South Africa because of his uh, uh, against apartheid. Long before Rosa Parks stood up because she refused to go to the back of the bus because of the color of her skin. Long before Martin Luther King uh, uh, fought racial segregation and, and taught us that there's a dream for a better place, stood Shifra and Pua who stood up to the powerful and to those that would keep down people and oppress people and kill people because they just knew that was the right thing to do. These two midwives stood up to Pharaoh's evil demands and spared those Israelite boys. And God honored them. God honored them and cared for them because they said we must obey God and defend the weak and the vulnerable and the powerless. It shouldn't surprise us that God honored them in Scripture. God has always, always been for the oppressed and for those who have the rest of society has thought have, have little regard. And Jesus' very, very first sermon when he burst onto the scene and preached his first recorded sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. This is what the Bible says happened. Then Jesus returned to Galilee and filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region, and he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. The scroll, scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives should be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this day. Every one of them were waiting. You could hear a pin drop in that synagogue. Jesus had everyone's complete attention. He took the scroll, read from Isaiah 61. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled on this day. In essence, Jesus was saying, times have changed, boys. The, the, the kingdom ideals are different. The world's values, the world's priorities, the world's political strategies are going to look a whole lot different if they're going to line up with my, with my priorities and my strategies. And Jesus then laid out his agenda. He said, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You see, in God's kingdom, the poor matter. 
And God's kingdom, concerned for the least of these, the focus is, is not just on the haves, but also on the have-nots. It's not just a focus on the up-and-comers, it's also focused on the down-and-outers. The people that, that society says will have no use for you, you have no value. Jesus says, oh yes, they matter to me. It was last week's lesson in Leah when, when she was overlooked and, and, and rejected in many, many ways, but God found, she found favor in God's eyes. The weakest, the powerless, the most helpless in society have always had a friend in Jesus. The poor and the, disad- and the dis- dis- disenfranchised still matter to God. The mentally handicapped have value in God's kingdom. Those who battle mental illness are loved by Jesus Christ. Those who think uh, that the, the rest of society thinks are the bottom of the barrel or the least of these are valuable to God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. I've told you plenty of stories about my family, and you're probably sick of hearing about my boys, and I get in trouble every other week that I mention Carla, and, you know, I've talked about my folks. I've, I think I've preached a little bit, I've told a story about my Aunt Alice. I don't know that I've ever told you my Uncle Jim. My Uncle Jim, uh, my dad's brother, was born um, with epilepsy. When he was a young boy, um, he contracted polio, and so he was crippled. When he was 12 years old, he was on the roof with my grandfather repairing the roof. Why you would have an epileptic, crippled kid up on a roof is beyond me. I don't know. But he was on the roof, and he fell off the roof and, and experienced severe brain damage. He was in a coma for about six months. He never really uh, recovered from that in many, many ways and spent the rest of his life in institutions or group homes. But by the time he was about... Uh, as my, my folks were getting older, when my dad was getting older, my dad was his guardian. And then, and then I kind of came alongside my dad and was also my uncle's guardian when my dad was gone or away or whatever. And he would come, my uncle Jim would come to our house a couple times a year and spend uh, some, several weeks with, with our family and my aunt's family. And so I was around my uncle Jim quite a bit. But he never remembered me. His, his brain really uh, was, was stopped functioning when he fell off the roof. And so he never remembered me. He remembered things from the 1930s. He didn't remember anything past that, really. In fact, one time, Carl and I saw him. Uh, we went to a Tiger baseball game, and the group home he was staying at took some of the residents to a Tiger game, and I saw my Uncle Jim there. It was just, you know, happenstance that I just happened to see him. And so and my Uncle Jim was a huge Tiger fan. And so, so his, his favorite Tiger, if you were to ask him, his favorite Tiger was Schoolboy Row, who was a pitcher in the, in the 30s, you know. And so we'd say, who's your favorite Tiger? And it would be Schoolboy Row. But anyway, so, so we, we went up to him, I went up to him and said, hey, Uncle Jim, it's your nephew Rob. And he said, yeah. And he pointed to the strange lady sitting next to him and said, yeah, and she's my girlfriend. <laughs> I said, no, really. I could not convince him that we were related. But, you know... My Uncle Jim had a childlike faith. Every night, every single night, he would go in and brush his teeth and put on his pajamas and he'd go by his bed and get on his knees and pray. Every single night. Now, my Uncle Jim never, I don't think he ever put a dime in the offering plate. He didn't have any money. He certainly never taught a Sunday school class. He never sang in church, not like, like we've done. He couldn't read, and so sometimes he would remember some of the tunes, but he mostly mumbled and hummed. 
But can I tell you, he is just as valuable as anyone who's ever walked into a church. He's just as important. I fully expect to see my Uncle Jim with no polio, with, with no epilepsy, with a mind that functions and works. I fully expect to see my Uncle Jim in heaven one day. Why? Because he is valuable in the kingdom of God. And, and every single person, the ones that society says are the least of these, the ones who society says, says they have no value, they're weak, they're powerless, they're whatever, in God's kingdom, they're important. In God's kingdom, they have value. Again, this week, I think it's just touched me. If ever there was the least of these, it would be the unborn. And we need to value life. God values life. It's so important. And Jesus' words are still true. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. So if we're going to value the values of Jesus, if we're going to follow the steps of Jesus and Shephra and Pua, who stand up to a society that says, this is what you got to do. No, we have to obey God rather than any of those other things. If it's important to God... It had better be important to us. Jesus' second point in that sermon is he sent me to, to proclaim the captives will be released. In other words, in Jesus' kingdom, justice matters. Now, that's not a new concept. In the Old Testament, mishpah, that's the word for justice, is used 421 times. And, and throughout the prophets, you'll see justice matters. It always matters. Jesus spoke these words in the Nazareth synagogue, and when he spoke them from Isaiah uh, 61, no doubt people's minds also went to the 146th Psalm. Because the 146th Psalm says this, but joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice, mishpah to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. And so it sounds a lot like Jesus' words in the, in the synagogue, doesn't it? It sounds like it's the same uh, a lesson, the same teaching. Mishpah, justice matters to God. And if it matters to God, it ought to matter to us. That means we too should care for the oppressed and the hungry and the prisoners and the blind and those who are weighed down by the troubles of this old world and the foreigners among us and the orphans and the widows. And if we care for them, I mean, if we really care for them, it'll affect the way we approach even current issues of the day, whether that's it's welfare reform or health care or immigration or any of those things. It, if it matters to Jesus, it ought to matter to us. And if we're going to embrace Jesus and the things that are important to Jesus... And those things better be important to us. Well, how do we know what's important to Jesus? Well, just read Jesus. Look at Jesus' words. Look at the stories Jesus would tell. He told the, the story. We all know the Good Samaritan story. And you'll recall that was, story was told in response to the question from a lawyer who said, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus told us the story about the, the guy who was beaten up on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And the people who should have known better, the priest and the Levite, passed by without even lifting a finger. But the guy who had the wrong ancestors and the wrong nationality and the wrong theology, the Samaritan was the one that did the right thing. He was the neighbor. This week on Facebook, I put a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It was in reference to this story. And he said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I step to help this man, what will happen to me? 
But the good Samaritan reversed that question and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You see, for Jesus, justice matters. Our neighbors, our prisoners, and the hungry, and the foreigners, and the orphans, and the widow. And the question is, are we being neighborly? Are we helping them? Are we caring for them? Are we standing up for them? For those that have no voice, like Shifra and Puah. Notice Jesus said in his kingdom, the third point of his sermon was the blind will see. You see, what that means is in the kingdom of God, sick people matter. Uh, Jesus receives those who have pre-existing conditions. He welcomes you. He doesn't turn people away. So if sick people matter to Jesus, and you can't read the Gospels without coming to that conclusion, he was healing people left and right, sick people ought to matter to us as well. And that means, as, you know, at Central, I love that we have volunteers from Central Church that go into the hospital and pray for folks, and pastors will go and pray for folks before their surgeries or whatever and visit them in the hospital. You know, we just need to know. We, we, one, church I had, one church I had, a lady, she got really mad because no pastor came and prayed with her before her surgery. And, you know, and that was terrible. And, and it was terrible. We want to pray with folks. And so I said, well, did you let the church office know? Did you tell someone you were having surgery? And she said, no. And I said, well, did you have your husband call the church and tell someone you were having surgery? She said, no. And I said, well, did you have a friend that called the church and let us know that you were having surgery? She said, no. I, and I wanted to say, I didn't say, but I wanted to say, well, you know, I didn't, I skipped mind reading class in seminary, and so I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't say that. I just apologized, and we moved on. But we, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be a community like Jesus, that means we care for the sick. We care for the troubled. We care for the lonely. We care for the hungry. We care, we care, we care. See, Jesus, in his next line of his sermon was that the oppressed are set free. Again, in the in the footsteps of Shifra and Pua, it means that there's an end to tyranny. And those who've been oppressed or abused or neglected or battered or mistreated finally find freedom and peace in God's kingdom. That's what's going on here. People matter. That's what's happening with Shifra and Pua over and over again. These babies, these precious babies matter. And it's taking a stand for what is right and godly. And Jesus concludes that, that passage by saying, and at that time, the Lord's favor has come. What's he talking about the Lord's favor? It's really referring back to the Old Testament, a time of jubilee. And jubilee, the year of jubilee in the Old Testament, was when greed and selfishness and self-serving uh, behaviors were done away with. And, and in the year of jubilee, debts were, were forgiven and slaves were set free and the land was restored. That was what the year of jubilee was all supposed to be about. And that's what, what Jesus is proclaiming. See, in America, we've, we've gotten a little easy the last couple hundred years, quite honestly. And there may be a time coming, maybe sooner than later, I don't know, when we, the people of God, will have to stand up for what we believe and say we obey God rather than men. And if that means losing, like, our tax-exempt status to obey God rather than men, then we, we have to be willing to do that. If that means uh, 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 not being conformed to to say or what I don't say, if we had a pulpit behind the pulpit, you know, we need to, we need to obey God rather than men. It's, it's, it's taking Jesus' words very seriously, the words he said in John 14, when he said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. That means we've got to follow Jesus more than anything else. We've got to be asking ourselves, like Shifra and Pua, will I obey God? Will I do what God says? Will I follow what my orders are from my superior, or will I follow God? And the question is, will we? 
Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Build your kingdom here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.